On behalf of Call to Action, I certainly welcome Sister Christine Shank. It's indeed a pleasure. Chris is a sister of St. Joseph and director of Future Church, which is an organization very dear to Call to Action. We have been working together closely. So with great pleasure, I welcome you, Sister Chris. Thanks, Ellen. I'm very happy to be here um, to share the results of a future church advancing women in church leadership survey that we um, sent last year, uh, last February. Um, it's this gray piece of paper with very small print. I see some familiar nods. Could I just see how many of you di actually did do the survey? Okay. Thank you. Um, well, we promised that we would make the survey results available. Um, we just, we have a graduate student, or not a grad, PhD candidate in statistics who help, uh, helped us run the numbers. In a prior incarnation in my life, I uh, worked as a nurse midwife in um, a tertiary care center and did clinical research. Um, a modest amount of clinical research. So I had a little bit of background in tests and measurements, and so we did our best considering that we're, um, you know, an energetic, but uh, not, you know, we're not off the charts um, funded organization to make this a, a scientifically respectable, and I think we have succeeded in doing that, judging from the data that we received back from our statistician. Um, but before I get into that part, I would say that I'd like to give a few words of introduction about why we did, chose to do the survey. Um, Future Church was founded in 1990 by 20, actually a parish council that passed a resolution saying that the Eucharist is more central to Catholic worship than the gender of the priest or the marital status of the priest. And we... That wasn't quite the phrasing of the resolution, but the deal was we called for opening ordination to all those called to it, including men who left the active ministry to marry, married priests, and women. So um, subsequently, 28 other parish councils supported that resolution. In 1994, we began to network nationally. We had two na uh, national projects, which we continue to have, a call for national dialogue on the future priestly ministry, which raises awareness about the consequences of doing nothing about the priest shortage. A little-known fact is presently we have 18,000 active priests in the United States, and we have some 18,850 parishes in the United States. If ordinations continue the way they are at 350 a year, um, by the year 2026, we will have 11,500 active priests for 18 to 19,000 parishes. So this has been one of those situations, and because right now, 75% um, of all priests are over 55 of, of active priests. At the same time, we have a huge number, an increase in the number of lay ecclesial ministers. We now have over 30,000 lay ministers and another 18,000 enrolled in graduate programs. 80% are women 
of the lay ecclesial ministers that are are uh, paid lay ministers. That's eighty percent of the thirty thousand. So. Uh, the Future Priestly Ministry Project educates about that. Our other project, Women in Church Leadership, educates and advocates about the inclusive practice of the historic Jesus and um, advocates on behalf of women ministers in the church who I just sort of gave you the rundown on their statistics. It was from our Women in Church Leadership effort that we began the highly successful Mary of Magdala celebrations. We had it over 300 last year. You have a blue flyer on your table if you're interested in having one in your parish, your small faith community again this year. These were popular even before Dan Brown's Da Vinci Code came out. We believe we helped create the market for the Da Vinci Code. (laughs) Unfortunately, Dan Brown hasn't shared any royalties. (laughs) But we have hope. We'll, We'll keep trying. Um, But what we found from our women in church leadership effort is there was a great hunger among Catholics to find out what is the contemporary biblical scholarship about Jesus' inclusive practice. It was a big surprise for people to discover that Mary of Magdala wasn't a prostitute. When we first started the project in 1996, people didn't believe us, literally. Um, But because of the wonderful work of so many people, probably right here in this room, taking the biblical scholarship, having programs with your local um, uh, scripture teacher from your local college, and then having a celebration in which women can serve in a visible liturgical role. So you had an education and a liturgical aspect. We really did change the landscape in the Catholic Church around this preeminent witness of the resurrection, this preeminent woman minister. So much so that... uh, just recently, John Paul II, or not John Paul, but Pope Benedict, oh boy, am I in a time warp, <laughs> um, named Mary of Magdala with Mary of the Mother of Jesus as an example of women's roles in the church. It has to be the first time in historical memory that Mary of Magdala was named not as a Reformed prostitute, but as a model of ministry. Historically, also, and this is other salient point, Mary, the mother of Jesus, is always named as a model for women in the church, which you want to talk about an impossible role model. I don't know how many virgin mothers you know. (laughs) I never met any. Um, I mean, which is not to say that this wasn't a miraculous thing that happened with Mary of Nazareth. I'm saying yes, but it was probably a once in historical ever, you know, depending on how you understand that teaching of our church. The point being, for most normal Catholic women struggling away, it's hard to have that kind of a model as someone you can emulate. So the fact that the Pope named both Mary of Magdala and Mary of the Mother of Jesus says to me that um, there could be, among some other statements he made about the need to expand women's roles in the church, Um, there could be more hope for conversation about this issue than we have had in quite some time. In any case, um, we are now, because of the Mary Magdalene celebrations, our Celebrating Women Witness effort, which um, gives um, essays written by experts about uh, women in the church who resisted unjust structures because of belief in Jesus, that became another very important 
I would say, prayer educational resource tool for people in small faith communities and in parishes to raise up the witness of women and to um, provide, I guess I would say, the moral strength and fiber to endure what we are presently experiencing in the institutional church around just sort of shutting the door on women's ministries. That has been extraordinarily successful beyond our expectations. Um, so both of those projects have done great. If you're interested in them, you look on the pink sheet or go up to the Future Church booth. We have them. They're great plug-in resources for your small faith community. But we were at a point with all of the different... Um, all the energies arising around how do we advance the women's movement in the church, that we at Future Church wanted to find out, okay, well, what should we do? We've got Roman Catholic women priests. We've got uh, the bishops passing, finally, after a five-year effort, co-workers in the vineyard, which is finally official recognition for lay ecclesial ministers. So we decided that the best thing to do would be to survey as many Catholics as we could um, that we had access to. And that's what we did. And so now, after that long preamble, we'll get into the data that you came to hear about. And I'm going to present it. What I should say is that um, we really literally got all of this hot off the press about two weeks ago. We got some of it a bit from our statistician. So I spent like the last about 14 hours a day (laughs) the last two weeks getting this in a format that was somewhat presentable. So I'm saying that because we do have the data. We do have it broken out. What we don't have, or what we still continue to need, is to sift it, to to sit with it, to say, okay, what does it mean? And so after after I present the first part, um, that part, then I'm going to open it up and say, okay, what do you think this means? You know, help me with this. Let's together sort this out. And what does it say to you? What does it say to me? Does that sound like fun, I hope? (laughs) I don't know if it'll be fun, but sometimes. All right. This is big picture. Um, We mailed 40,000 surveys to an assortment of progressive Catholic organizations, Future Church Call to Action, Catholic Speak Out, Priests for Equality, Women's Ordination Conference, We did not do it to Leadership Conference of Women Religious. I apologize. That's a mistake on the slide. Um, National Catholic Reporter Network, Mary's Pence, Center for Action and Contemplation. We didn't, it was not an exhaustive list. What we did is we began with the groups that we knew, and it all sort of merged, purged down to to 40,000. This is what our budget could allow. We knew these were primarily progressive groups. Out of that number, we had 2018 returns, which is a 4% return, which is excellent for, I would say, direct mail kinds of efforts. It's four times what you would normally expect. However, it's not sufficient to then generalize from what these 2018 people said to the entire 40,000 group. It does, is sufficient to say this is what these 2018 people think. Since we had an assumption that the people who responded to the survey were the people who were most interested we felt in the issue, we felt that this still would have a significant meaning for those activist groups like Future Church who are trying to work 
to change church structures around women inclusion of women's voices. We had um, 80% of women responded. The mean, uh, the, the um, number, the survey respondents, 78% were over age 55. I think here's a very significant thing. 85% said they were active in their parish. They checked it. 85% attend mass weekly or more. So right there, you can see this is a group that's very committed to their Catholic faith. And this um, gives the breakdown of, like, who were the people. And you can see we had 72 priests male, 16 priests female, religious brothers, religious sisters, pastoral ministers, the, the largest single group um, it's hard for me to see it, look at it like this. I probably should look at it up here. Um, were uh, religious, were people who served on parish, uh, who either served as a parish committee, like 394, or served as other, 460 responses, or 22%. They did list the other in the survey, and it was things like Eucharistic minister, music minister, lector, DRE, prison minister, sacristan, bereavement minister, spiritual director, etc. These are the people marked which um, renewal groups or progressive Catholic organizations that they belong to. And you can see the breakout. Um, it's sort of all the usual suspects. Um, and, but you can see the largest percentage, uh, percentage-wise, were call to action and future church with smaller numbers, Pax Christi. But again, many people mark three or four of those, which is the next transparency. And this basically shows that 82% of respondents um, said uh, they belong to at least one renewal group. We will have these available eventually on our website for um, download as PDFs, but right now we don't. Um, okay, so now let's look at what the actual questions were that the responses came for. This is a little bit, I know it's a busy slide, but it was the only way to get through it all. Um, what we did is we have each question item, and then we, we did the analysis, the overall analysis, okay, what percentage said strongly agree I'm sorry yeah thank you which what percentage said we agree we strongly agree we we had a range of one to five with um, I'm sorry the slide fell off five being strongly agree and one being disagree okay and then what we did is frankly for these for, for this presentation I totaled them all the agrees because this was so overwhelmingly agree with women in all these roles. It wasn't, didn't make sense to break it out. Um, we did leave the no opinion and disagree. What, so, but then further, and I'm just orienting you to this so you know um, how to interpret what we're doing after this. We broke, based on people's self-identification as to whether they were male or female, whether they were a member of a small faith community, 
whether how often they attended mass or sort of like and the range was rarely once or twice a month weekly or more so there were three categories do they serve the church in some capacity were they a member of one group or multiple reform groups were they active in their parish or not and we did this because for different reform groups we focus on different parts of the Catholic community so we thought it would be helpful information and as you can see for the comparisons between the groups for women's roles we have a high percentage uh, supporting everything the church should affirm the equal rights of women and men decision-making in all matters should be shared equally among men and women the liturgical ministries of the church should reflect the equality of women gender inclusive language the language of hospitality should be the norm for church preaching the Holy Spirit calls women as well as men to ordain ministry women should be welcome to proclaim the gospel and to preach during the mass and the church should reinstitute the tradition of ordaining women to the diaconate the church should reinstitute the tradition of ordaining women to the priesthood and as you can see high degree of percentages of people who agree also what this tells us this the test that we use that women were more likely to mark toward the strongly agree end of the spectrum and the little stars tell you the confidence levels if you've ever done statistics this is all any when I was working as a midwife anything that was 0.05 or above was outstanding most of these are at the 0.001 confidence level so so you can see right here um, high degrees of agreement then just let's just take a look as, as we go across let's just take for example the bottom two the church should reinstitute the tradition of ordaining women to the diaconate let's just say 95 points percent women were more likely to uh, mark toward this uh, strongly agree there was no significant difference between members of the small faith community people who were infrequent mass attenders were more likely to mark towards the strongly agree people who served the church no significant difference between them and other groups people who were members of multiple reform groups were more likely than people from one reform group to mark towards strongly degree people who were not active in a parish were more likely to mark towards strongly degree now what does this mean <laughs> part of the thing we need to remember is that 85 percent of the people said they were active in a parish so this is this thing about not being active in a parish is sort of an interesting factoid but since 85 percent of the people we're marking and we had the high percentage of strongly degree right there we knew that that was a uh, it it doesn't it said it tells us something but the fact is the overwhelming response was towards strongly agree okay um, okay then we had the question I welcome women in these roles in my I welcome women in these roles and again if you look down uh, for welcoming I welcome women preaching and proclaiming the gospel I welcome women deacons I welcome women confessors I welcome women priests I welcome parish administrators women as lay pastoral ministers women as heads of parish councils or women theologian women canon lawyers women high-level diocesan I welcome women bishops I welcome women Pope <laughs> yes <laughs> and once again we have very high percentages 
Um, again, we have to remember, these are the progressive Catholics in the church. These are not all Catholics, and these are the 2018 people who responded to this survey, okay? So if you did it with all Catholics, it wouldn't be this high. Um, but I, that being said, I think that you can see it's very high, this, this faded in. And I'm not going to go through the breakouts of each one of these because I'm not so sure how, uh, how much meaning that has for us at the moment. If you want to talk about it later, we can. This is the one that I think is a little more interesting. I would welcome these people, but will my parish welcome these people? And there you see there's a much bigger range of, I don't think so. <laughs> and so um, you, you have, again, here in this total, a, a, a very different range. Um, high percentages, yes, women will preach and proclaim. Women, um, we would welcome women deacons, high percentage. 92% parish administrators, 94% pastoral ministers, 90% canon lawyers. My parish is cool with all of this, okay? The things that are a little more dicey are a little lower percentage, but still pretty significant. 62 and 62% think their parish would welcome women as confessors and priests. 46% say, oh no, my parish will, won't, won't. You know, well, only 46% my parish would welcome women bishop, and 37% no, my parish won't welcome women pope. Okay, the thing that's interesting about this um, slide is that when you look at what are the percentages for people who serve the church, what are the percentages for people who are weekly mass attenders, and what are the pe percentages for people who are active in their parish. And in all of these areas, you see all of these groups that are more intimately connected with parish life marking toward the more strongly agree section of um, uh, certainly uh, um, uh, welcoming women deacons, welcoming women preaching the gospel. Even in the category of my parish welcoming women as priests, you can see in the one for those who serve the church, um, again, is marking toward the more strongly agree. I will tell you this was surprising to me. I thought that some of those who served the church who were more active, you know, more intimately connected would be a little more reluctant to those roles, and that, that was not the case. Okay, here's <clears throat> the next question. In evaluating a candidate for the priesthood or diaconate, what degree of the, these categories uh, should these categories have for acceptance? And again, the choices were very relevant to very irrelevant. And very relevant was being, I'm sorry, this fell off the copier, but it's five and one was very irrelevant. And as you can see, the irrelevance um, were gender, marital status, uh, sexual orientation, and race were felt to be irrelevant to varying percentages with more hesitation, it appears, on sexual orientation. Um, what this tells us on the crossway is that men were more likely than women to say that gender was relevant and that weekly mass attenders were more likely to say that gender was um, relevant and that people who were members of one reform or one progressive group were more likely to say and people who were active in parishes. 
I'm not going to go through it one by one because we'll be here all afternoon. I'm just going to try to do some big picturing. But overall, you can see um, people did not feel gender, male to status, or sexual orientation, or particularly race, had any relevance whatsoever. When it came to age, again, this was sort of an interesting thing to me. We did get uh, just 65% felt it was relevant, and I have no idea whether that means young or old. (laughs) It's one of those things we'd have to find out about. Um, Okay, so then looking then what was relevant, um, you see 89% said a call by God and a community. 93% said spirituality was very relevant. 70% said intelligence. And uh, the interesting thing about intelligence was there were no differences between the groups all the way across. So I think another sort of maybe interesting is that the evidence of call by God in the Catholic community, you can see that uh, women, small faith communities, weekly mass attenders, and those who serve the church were all more likely to say that that was a relevant part. Yes. Uh-huh. Yes. Relevant. Right. Men were more likely. Yeah. Now, again, it, you have to remember, it's, it's hard to know what this means when 80% of the respondents were women. All, and it doesn't say that all men thought that because, again, you have a high percentage that said it wasn't relevant, 90%. All it says is men in the, some men in the group, enough men in the group felt it was uh, marked toward the more strongly agree end for that number than was the norm for other, other, other group people. So... Oops. All right. Here we go. Comparisons between the groups. What about um, calls? How, where are they? I mean, this was sort of a hodgepodge of um, questions about where are we called? What about pastoral care? That kind of thing. And again, we've got five equal strongly agree and one equal disagree. And Here's an um, interesting, here we get a lot more differences, as you can see, among the total percent agrees. Um, I have a call to be a priest, just 46 point, I'm sorry, I would encourage my son to be a priest, 46.7% agree to that. I think that's significant in a group that is this intimately involved in their faith community. What's this saying when we have 85% of these folks being weekly mass attenders, 85% very involved in their parish, but only 46% would encourage their son. Something for us to think about. Um, This is another one of those things. Men were more likely than women to mark toward the strongly agree end of encouraging my son to be a priest. People who were weekly mass attenders, and again, because the total was weekly mass attenders, that's not saying all, it's just saying they were more likely. So the other piece with this is that the, the folks that were more strongly involved in the community were also the ones more likely to mark toward the strongly agree. 
Okay. Um, I am satisfied with the pastoral services in my parish, 59.8%. And, again, that's a pretty, you know, not a real huge percentage, I don't think. But maybe I have too high standards. I don't know. Um, and, again, as you can see, the, the breakout is almost exactly the same as the first one. The men, the weekly mass attenders, those who serve the church, those active, are more, we're more likely to mark toward the strongly agree. The next one, I think, is a very um, one interesting and important one. I am losing hope in the possibility of any official changes to benefit women in the church. 69.2% said yes. That's a high percentage. That's the bad news. The interesting news to think about is to look at the, how this broke out. Women were more likely to, to mark towards strongly degree those who did not belong to a small faith community were more likely to mark towards strongly to agree. Um, infrequent mass attenders, don't serve the church, not active in the parish, were all likely to mark toward the strongly agree end of that. The flip side of that is it appears that people who are more intimately involved with their parish have a bit more hope about changing the structures. And I think that's a, a really significant um, finding. Okay. I'm going to skip the alternative worship communities. The I have a call to be a priest was another question. 22% over one out of five said yes. Um, not surprisingly, men were more likely to mark toward this strongly agree. Um, small faith communities and uh, weekly, you know, frequency of mass attendance, there are no significant differences. Um, those who serve the church were more likely to mark that, and multiple versus one reform group were more likely to mark that. Now, I did look at that question a little bit more closely, and I can t because I asked our statistician to say, okay, well, tell me a little bit more about these people who say they're, they have a call to be a priest, and here are just the, break, the raw data of breakouts of who they are. Um, 314 of these respondents were women. Um, 332 served the church in some way already. And 357 were active members of their parish. So, again, that's out of a total of over 400-some. So you can see, like, 75% of the people who mark this way. These are not fly-by-night people. Beg pardon? Um, that, I'd have to look at, was 72. That's a good question. Thank you. Okay. Okay, let's see. We're going down the road here. Um, I know a woman who has experienced the call to be a priest. 64% responded. And interestingly, again, it was people who served the church and small faith communities saw that. And um, I have experienced my gifts and talents being rejected because of my views about women's ordination, 45.7% um, agreed. So I think that that is a very sort of another one of those sad kind of things. That's a lot of people to, to point toward the more strongly agree. And once again, women, small faith communities, and multiple reform groups were more likely to mark towards strongly agree. Okay, one of the big questions we had in doing this survey was 
well, where should we be putting our energies? You know, how should we work? Where should we work? Let's get some information about this from the people who care about this issue. And you can see efforts to achieve equality for women in the church should focus solely on women's ordination to the priesthood. Very small percentage said, yeah, we should only work on women's ordination. 36%, okay? And this is another one of those no significant differences between groups. So only women's ordination, this, this cohort of people, these two said, nope, that's not the way we want to go. Okay, the next question, efforts to achieve equality include doable first steps, should include such as women homeless, working for women deacons, as well as advocating for the ordination of women to the priesthood. 93.5% strongly agreed. So right there we see we need to work many ways to help this happen, okay? Um, And again, it may be instructive. I'm always interested for those who serve the church because Future Church does work closely within the parish context. And again, you can see those were interested more toward the uh, strongly agree, as were women. Next, efforts to advance women in church leadership should focus primarily on education and prayer. Again, a little more, 47% said, yeah, but it wasn't a majority. And, um, and again, people in small faith communities and weekly mass attenders were more likely to mark toward the strongly agree on that end. Okay, the next one, efforts to advance women in the church leadership should focus primarily on concrete actions and strategies. We tried to set these up sort of in opposition to each other. I don't know how well that worked, but... You can see 80% agreed. So it's not prayer isn't enough. We've got to do stuff, too. And, again, we had a pretty high degree of no differences between groups, except those who were not active in parishes were really into action. <laughs> they tended to mark toward the more strongly to agree end. Next, comparisons between groups. Well, where should we work? How should we work? Here was a... In, For me, this was one of the most um, significant questions. We should work within the existing structures to change the teachings and practices of the church regarding women's equality in the church. 79.2% agreed. And again, weekly mass attenders, those who serve the church and active in parishes, were more likely to mark toward the strongly agreed. The next question, we should work outside the existing structures to change the teaching and practices of the church regarding women's equality. 74% agreed. And interestingly enough, it's sort of like the mirror opposite about who marked toward the more strongly agree. Infrequent mass attenders, people who don't serve the church, and people who aren't active in the parishes. So there was a diversity here, but overall, you can see People think we should work both within and without. Um, a, a smaller percentage were interested in putting energy into creating alternative worship communities. So, And then the last one, and this again is sort of another way of getting at the same thing, and it's from the strategy section. And the strategy section said, I support these strategies to advance women's roles in the church. And one, I put it here because it seems so germane. One of the questions, the strategies, was encouraging the ordination of women priests outside the existing rules of the church 
if the church does not open ordination to women. We had 60% of respondents agreeing to that statement. Now, later on, there's we had that many respondents saying, yes, we should support the strategies. Far fewer were willing to actually work on it, but we'll get to that part. But in theory, they support the strategy. And again, um, as you look at the breakout, women, infrequent mass attenders, people who don't serve the church, members of multiple reform groups, and those who are not active in parishes were more likely to mark toward the strongly agree. And it's about what you'd expect, I think, for that question. Okay, now let's get down to, okay, what about the strategies? And we named bunches of strategies. I don't know why we thought we were going to get a big difference, but anyway, we did. There are some things that are interesting. And again, you can see the strategies are educating about the inclusive practice of Jesus, educating about women office holders, celebrating Mary of Magdala, celebrating historical women of faith, educating about um, contemporary women, organizing prayer, parish-based prayer reflection action uh, groups, organizing uh, educational programs related to contemporary issues of women's equality, organizing lectors to use only gender-inclusive language while reading the scriptures, organizing a petition campaign calling to our, our bishops to welcome women as preachers. And again, high percentage of support, in theory, for all of these strategies. Women were more likely to uh, women marked toward the more were more likely to mark toward the strongly agree end. So these were the, the thing that was of some concern to me is the other group that marked toward the more strongly degree end were people who were not involved in parishes. And it made me wonder if the people who are involved in parishes have some again because it's such a high degree. There are a lot lot of parish people who marked this, but again, I, it could be reflective of some of the. Um, some of the practical political things that have to be negotiated when we're working on these things in our parishes. Next set of strategies, um, organizing a pe petition campaign, calling on our bishops to ordain women to the diaconate, organizing a petition campaign, calling our bishops to open discussion on ordaining women to the priesthood, organizing a lay synod on women's issues in the church, Organizing a National Day of Prayer, calling on the Holy Spirit to open the hearts and minds of the hierarchy to the gifts of women under the census fidelium. Organizing a National Day honoring the contributions of women to the life of the church. Organizing a National Day honoring contribution of lay ministers in the church. Study of the church's treatment of lay ministers and initiating efforts to overcome systemic unjust treatment. Extremely high um, you know, levels of support, five being they strongly support. And again, women more likely to mark toward the strongly agree. And the same phenomena we noted before about um, more. So people were like, yeah, yeah, these strategies are great. We support them. We support them. <laughs> so that was good. Um, third set of strategies. And again, this is where things get a little bit more diverse, a little bit more interesting, or I guess from a researcher's point of view. Um, organizing a National Day of Prayerful Resistance to Call Attention to Women's Unjust Treatment in the Church. 85% would support that. Women, um, infrequent mass attenders, people who don't serve the church, aren't active in parish, and members of multiple faith communities were all more likely to mark toward the strongly agree. The next one, 
which is one of those things we hear a lot, those of us who work in the movement, encourage a woman not to attend church on a given Sunday, the majority was not in favor of this. And this, I think, is the only one that had under 50%. People did not think that was a way to go, or at least, you know, only 48% thought. Um, And you can see the breakout. Women, infrequent mass attenders, people don't serve the church, multiple reform or uh, progressive groups, and not active members of the parish were more likely to mark towards strongly agree, but it was not enough to, to make a difference for the majority who thought it was a bad idea. 71% making contributions, um, directing that they u- be used only f- um, in the parish and no percent can be used to fund Vatican assessments. 71%. Sometimes it's good to look and see, well, what are the number who disagree here? Um, because those are the folks that are going to work against you <laughs> if you're interested in a given strategy. Putting a postcard in the, to the bishop in, your, in the collection basket with your contribution, 76 supported that. Organizing vigils at the cathedral, 77. Again, I want to say these were theoretical strategies because later we asked the question, who where would you put your would you be willing to work on this issue and we'll get to that in a minute okay we, we've only got a couple more you've been great hanging in here um, this is uh, support for strategies for we already discussed um, that 60% supported encouraging ordination outside the rules developing a report card again 87% strong these were pretty high percentages. Developing a system to honor dioceses with the best practices. Developing a system to focus attention. Petitioning our bishops to um, withhold the publication of the new lectionary if, as expected, it contains regressive sexist language. Working to appeal, repeal Canon 1024. All, again, there were high percentages who, in support. Okay, before I do the final thing, we did some cross-comparison between items, and we may do more. This was sort of the first run. But we did a look to see, okay, of the people who said, I am losing hope in the possibility of any official changes to benefit women in the church, what could we look at? What, what other information could we get? And what we found, and again, they did correlations of this, and what this means, if a person answered one positively this I am losing hope um, then the positive correlation means that they, they, they were marked high on the other ones and so I'm always looking this is this something that could give hope to people who are ready to bail and um, these were the strategies that they liked petition campaign um, preachers and proclaimers ordaining women prayerful protests lay synod on women's issues report card on how my diocese rates I don't know what it means, but I think that um, it's clear that this cohort really wants to go right to the authority and say, hey, we have to do something. The other uh, specific question that we looked at was the whole thing about um, I have a call to be a priest, and that was positively correlated, and not surprisingly, with we should support the movement to ordain women outside existing structures and encouraging the ordination of women outside the existing rules. So those who um, 
experienced a call were more likely uh, you can those those that item was positively correlated with those other two strategies last transparency this is the okay we've got all the theoretical stuff now where am I willing to put my legs in my body okay as you remember we had high percentages of strategies many most if in the 90s percent but what I can actually do to work on it was quite different and not surprisingly, you know, um, the highest marked support was 33%. And that what we did with this is six, we just indicated the number who did not mark the item. So you can see just by um, looking, there were more people who didn't mark all items than who did. But that's real. It still is 679 warm bodies who are willing to work on this issue. So when you're a community organizer, you're you're glad but anyway you can see that these folks 33% um, were in favor of doing celebrations and prayer services honoring other great women of faith in our faith community we at Future Church were happy to see that because it was strong affirmation of one of the things that we're doing and the other one was an educational program about women office holders in the early church that those were very closely related as we go down 30% a day to honor the contributions of lay pastoral ministers, I thought that was pretty exciting for me because lots of times those two worlds don't always interact, the church reform groups and the, um, even though people are closet members. <laughs> um, a lay synod on women's issues, again, 28% were willing to work on it. Uh, same way St. Mary of Magdala, 28%. Um, a day in my diocese to calling on the Holy Spirit, 26%. Petition campaign calling on in my diocese, 26%. Petition campaign, uh, 23% calling on the bishop to advocate women ordaining uh, women to the priesthood. A prayer reflection and action group to explore women's roles in the church and organize ed educational programs is 22%. A report card on how my diocese is doing welcoming gifts and talents was 21%. A petition campaign. I see people really weren't that into doing a petition campaign to ordain women to the diaconate compared to the priesthood. That thought that was significant for us activist types. A day of prayerful protest was at the bottom of 17, but at rock bottom was the movement to ordain women outside the existing structures, which just was 11%. So one of the findings was, theoretically, these folks feel we should work inside and outside, both. Um, theoretically, if the church doesn't open ordination, we should support the movement outside the structures. But when it came to me actually working on it, it, it wasn't there. So just, I mean, I shouldn't say that. There were 221 people who were there. But um, so that's it's pretty much the rundown. Um, So I think maybe I'll stop there with the with the thing. And let's just open it up now, because as I said earlier, we are still sifting it through. We've shared this information with other um, uh, allied groups, uh, just because we think it's an important kind of data for all, everybody in the reform movement. What it means, I think we'll still, um, we're still unfolding. Certainly for me, um, I did my own little list of encouraging, discouraging. 
Certainly overwhelmingly uh, numbers of respondents evidence strong support for women's equal roles in ministry and decision making. No surprise given who did the survey. Um, I think a surprising thing for me was the finding that active parishioners, frequent mass attenders, and um, uh, members of small faith communities, those who served the church, and men, were, met, were had a, a bit more hope. They were less likely to mark towards strongly agree that they were losing hope. Made me wonder, if, you know, given the kind of who your faith community is hanging in there can give you strength for the long haul. And of course, the diverse approaches were overwhelmingly affirmed, and the both-and strategy of working both within and without was um, also strongly affirmed. So that's my own little rundown. Let's open it up now. Yes. Thank you. And that feeds right into our other project from Future Church called um, our Save Our Parish Community Project. But the bigger issue is we have a do not stifle the spirit statement that names eight best practices for how to preserve vibrant parishes in a time of fewer priests. So thank you. That was a very, um, we, are, we live in interesting times. And one other thing, if I didn't say earlier, if you would put your email on either the Mary Magdala sheet or either the pink or the blue sheet, we will email you when this thing is up on our website if you're interested. I think I said you and then you. Yes. Right. Well, see, and I think that was the that was a very good point, and that's, we saw that reflected in the number of people. Um, there was more people who didn't work in the parish were more likely to mark certain strategies. Would you care to comment on what ones you thought you could do? Were there any that you thought you could do? Okay. Okay. Thank you. Okay, thank you. Yes. I think that San Diego tend to be less open to, to uh, any kind of women That's really not borne out by the data. There, I'm sure there are individuals, because I had that very question with Marty Jewell, who um, does all the stuff with pastoral life coordinators. The number of pastoral life coordinators is going up. And some bishops are replacing or try, have tried to replace female pastoral life coordinators with deacons, but it hasn't worked in some areas. And other bishops, it's, it's not. But okay, okay, yeah, right. I think you, and then you. Okay, yes. Thank you. These are the students themselves from Africa that have said that. Did you tell the students from Africa that? There's one priest for 4,000 Africans, and in the United States, there's one priest for 13,000. I mean, 1,300. One priest for 4,000, and one priest for 1,300 in the United States. So, what diocese are you in? Okay. Yeah. Thank you. The Mary of Magdala celebrations, the Celebrating Women Witness celebrations have been very successful. We did petitions um, nationally and locally around 
um, having women proclaim, preach and proclaim, um, or in opening the diaconate to women. Um, but unfortunately, with that strategy, we didn't have a, that piece. We didn't have much opportunity to get feedback. So, I mean, I, I can't evaluate how. Well, it was a postcard. We have postcard, and actually, if you'd like some, we probably have some at the Future Church booth, and just had people send them to Bishop Skillstead and to their own bishop. The the why they are afraid of the change is probably beyond my ability to respond to answer. I can tell you some hopeful things. Um, one, we already do have a married priesthood in the Catholic Church. The Eastern Rite permits a married priesthood. In the United States, we have over 100 married Episcopal priests, married priests who came from other denominations who are now serving in parishes with their families and their children. The hopeful thing that I would say, having been at the International Synod on the Eucharist last year and listened to everybody, all these bishops from around the world, bemoan the pre-shortage and the impact it was having on their ability to continue ministry among the most powerfully spoken people was Cardinal Hamas from Brazil, who basically said Brazil was on the verge of not being a Catholic country anymore because of the pre-shortage and because of the spread of the evangelicals. He's also known to be sympathetic to liberation theology. Much to everyone's surprise, he has just been appointed to the congregation of the clergy. So... Um, that, I don't know what impact that could have, but I, so the other thing from the Synod on the Eucharist that is significant is four of the 12 working groups in the Synod uh, made a proposal to study a married priesthood, to further the study. Because the final results of the Synod had to be by consensus, it didn't make it into the final set, but Cardinal Casper uh, said, no, this will continue to be open. For, it is an ongoing open for discussion kind of piece. Benedict is one of the people that could act on that and still maintain the unity of the church with the far right. Whether he'll do it or not, I have no idea. I think he has made some two, twice in the last eight months, some more hopeful comments himself about advancing women's roles in the church. In March, he spoke to a seminary. Um, he ha usually they have this every year. The priests in Rome have a meeting with the Pope, and the Pope gives a lecture, and then they all leave. Benedict didn't follow that protocol. He wanted to hear from them. And one young priest asked why we can't have more visibility for women's roles. Benedict, after saying, you know, we can't ordain them to the priesthood, but it is important that we do find ways to advance women's roles in the church, okay? So I sort of discounted. I mean, it's like, oh, that's nice he's saying that. I was surprised that he spoke about it because, um, but then again, when he was in Germany, a German commentator asked him, shouldn't there be more visibility for women's roles? He spoke at length about this. Um, again, doing that, well, we can ordain them to the priesthood. But there are more women in uh, the Curia. There is a juridical problem, though, because you have to have sacred orders to exercise governance, and so that's a problem. And then he concluded by naming, um, uh, well, he said some other wonderful things. Actually, I just had an op-ed piece that was accepted, that was printed in the National Catholic Reporter, if you want to read the whole text of what he said. 
Um, but because he then he talked about Hildegard of Bingen who confronted bishops and popes and that women themselves with their own creativity will find a way to make their way in the church and that we must pay attention and listen. And um, But the thing that was surprising to me at the end is that he named uh, the two uh, he named Mary, of, he named Mary um, the mother of God, and Mary of Magdala as t- sort of evoking them as role models for women in the church, which was highly significant. Historically, only Mary of Nazareth was ever named as a role model for women. So to have Mary of Magdala named as a role model um, is a ministerial role model. I'm sure it's the first time in historical memory she's ever been named as anything other than a reformed prostitute. So <laughs> what this means to me, it means that there are, is some openness for reverencing women in ministerial roles in the same way we have reverenced women in mothering roles. This being said, 15%, it's only 15% of women are employed in the Vatican. None of them are in top roles. Some theologians have opined that the Pope, by even naming the jurisdiction thing, um, was saying that, well, we can't ordain them priests, but we could ordain them deacons, which would give them sacred orders, which would give them juridical authority. And so, and so I don't know, you know what it means. Um, I have to say I'm impressed that twice in the last six months he's said, yes, it's a problem, yes, we have something to do about it, we have to do something about it, now we have to figure out how to make sure that that happens. I don't know how to do that. <laughs> so um, for those of us who are committed to working within to advance the structures, I think there's a little more openness on this issue than there has been in the past where it will lead. Your guess is as good as mine. Yes, sir. And then you, yes. Um, thank you for the question. Do we have any plan response for the post-synodal exhortation on the Eucharist? The answer is yes. We collected over 2,000 signatures um, on a a letter to Bishop Wuerl asking for inclusion of a married priesthood and women deacons in the post-synodal exhortation. I'm surprised that they haven't issued it by now. Usually it was September or October. Um, So we're sort of waiting for it to come. My... We did send, not only did we send our letters to Bishop Wuerl, who is now Archbishop Wuerl, but we sent them to all the other members of the post-Synod Exhortation Committee. And the only one we got a response from was Cardinal Pell, who basically said, no way. <laughs> um, so I don't know that we have, we, I'm, I'll, be, I'll love it if I'm surprised, but um, I do think that we, we will probably see a reprise of what the original thing said. We will continue to call in the media for the same things we called for at the Synod, was opening ordination to um, married men and opening it to women deacons as a next step toward women's full inclusion. So that's part A. And part B, no, no, we don't have anything planned right now with the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops with their communion response. I haven't really looked at it enough. I, I think it's, um, if you go on the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops website, there are a number of statements that they're discussing at their meeting next week. And one of them um, has to do with setting out guidelines about 
Eucharist and basically saying you have to be following the moral teachings of the church to receive Eucharist. So I, I think it's part of a follow-up of all the politicization of the Eucharist. I, I'm, I'm encouraged that that didn't happen with the election this time, but someone else I had. Um, yes, I think you were next. Yeah. Um, no, we did not collect that kind of data. However, I would refer you to, um, you could go to the Future Church booth. We have a new Save Our Parish Community organizing packet that will have statistics in it from the Council of Pastoral Planning and Development, which did a major study of what the reorganization practices were of U.S. dioceses who reconfigured um, over between 1995 and 2000. And one thing they found is that when you merged a community, the number of households went down. When you appointed a parish coordinator, a life coordinator, a parish director, the numbers increased, were more likely to increase. So this, this is going to be a huge, this is our, one of our next big things after we figure out what we're going to do with the women's survey. Um, well, it is already a next big thing. Uh, we, we have a sign-on ad that we're preparing for National Catholic Reporter in February. And I'll be happy if you could stop by and sign on because I think that it's this, we are going to be dealing, they're not going to be able to import enough priests to make this work over the next 20 years. There's no way. So we are in a time of major flux. And um, it's our hope that those who love and care deeply about their parish life and want it to continue um, will join us in this effort. We have sort of a reactive strategy and a proactive strategy. Reactive if you're going to be closed and didn't think it was right. We've got all the canonical civil things you need to do. Our proactive strategy is how we can educate our parishioners and begin the dialogue with officials in our diocese about best practices for, for closing parishes. And having no priest is not a good enough reason to close a parish, and that's supported canonically. So, and that, that was my earlier talk, so I'm sorry you're getting the benefit of it here, but it's a very important issue for all of us. Yes, is it Jane? Yes. Yeah, I, I think that's probably true. It wasn't something that we tested. Um, one of the sort of logical fallacies was how if people aren't involved and don't go to Mass and aren't involved in their parish, how do they know what their parish will accept or not? <laughs> you know, so that was one of those things, but actually we didn't. Okay, yes, I'm happy to hang around, so it's up to you. The gap would have to be for... Uh, well, right... I, yeah, it is. Right, what I can tell you is two out of three dioceses in the United States do not have enough priests now to serve the number of parishes. And the projections are that we have 18,000 priests now. By um, 2026, if ordinations remain constant, we will have 11,500 priests for over 18,000 parishes. So somehow or other, we're going to have to... And, you know, that presumes every priest is going to be in a parish, which they are not. So that... I don't know if that helps. But, see, the other th thing, reality is, is that the Vatican itself spoke out you know, maybe six years ago against the practice of the developed countries importing priests from the developing countries. 
because Africa, with one priest for 4,000 Catholics, needs those priests there a lot more than we do with one priest for 1,300 Catholics. So the deal is these bishops are doing what they can to, you know, to fill the slots, but I, the Vatican itself has said it's fine if people come over for education, but they should not be um, recruited to stay when the needs in their own country are so great. So you guys have been wonderful. Yes, one last one. I'm sorry. Okay. <laughs> Yeah. Except some parishes have 10,000 people. I mean, with one priest, and he's going to be washing all the dishes? <laughs> that's right. I, I think that's the reality. And, and actually, for our um, Save Our Parish, the, our, our Do Not Stifle the Spirit statement, which we sent to every U.S. bishop, we hope to catalyze this very conversation. We have an abundance of ministers in the church because a priest is not available is not a good reason to close a parish. And particularly when we know when you merge parishes, we lose Catholics. So um, it's, you know, it's a very wild time, shall we say, in the family. But I think for me, the message is if we're not responsible for our church, who will be? Because our leaders are, you know, by and large, are not, they're not leading, you know. So I think that's why the bottom line is we, it was the strongest thing our board, I think, ever did was committing to preserving vital and vibrant parishes. And so it's our hope that those of you around the country will support us in it. We've got lots of information on our website, lots of downloadable stuff, so hope you go visit our booth. Thank you. Thank you.